if we don't do it as a team, then we'll, we're going to fall apart. That was the beginning of putting the 2010 team together. That meant success for Gary Smith. Found myself inside the six. If we're creating an 8 one I don't know. I just slipped it towards the goal. He's going to slide in for sure. Hello Rapids fans, this is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. My name is Matt Pollard and we've got some evergreen Rapids content for you on this episode. You might remember during the 2019 pandemic lockdown and it being the 10th anniversary of the Rapids winning MLS Cup, we did a bunch of interviews with players, coaches, and staff from that 2010 team. Mark and I had this big plan for a narrative podcast series with sound bites from those conversations, epic music inserts, and the whole works. It was going to be like The Last Dance, but in podcast form and about the Rapids instead of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. We even had a name for it, Memories from Toronto, referencing the lyric from the Rapids version of the Mountain Road song. That turned out to be a lot of work, especially in post-production. Mark and I aren't sure when we're going to have the time and the energy to fulfill that vision with life and given the way the MLS calendar is nowadays. But as a result, we've been sitting on hours of interviews with people who contributed to the greatest achievement in club history for almost four years now. This is content that we should make available to the Rapids community. Maybe this docuseries will happen later on down the road. But in the meantime, we'll be releasing these interviews as a series throughout 2024, periodically, probably on Sundays. So without further ado, here is part one of Memories from Toronto, the story of the 2010 Colorado Rapids. Featuring center back Marvell Wynn. Can I have you start off by saying your name and the position that you played? My name is Marvell Wynn, and I was a right back and center back for the Colorado Rapids. <laughs> yeah, so I guess now let's let's start there. That's an interesting thing. Um, I read somewhere. I want you to confirm this. You never started professionally at center back prior to the trade to Colorado, correct? Correct. Um, so the, the process of my trade was, um, I was, I was in Toronto. I was getting ready to travel to, I think our first game was in Columbus, but I got a call on Wednesday evening saying that I'd been traded to the Colorado Rapids. Um, they were going to play against Chivas USA for the home opener. So on Thursday, I actually flew to LA. I met my roommate, Danny Earls, and I met Gary Smith, my coach. And then on Friday morning, the morning of the very first game, I met the rest of the team. And Gary Smith had told me, hey, we've got the, we've got a couple of injuries and I want to try you at center back. What do you think? I'm like, sure, coach. Why not? Let's go for it. And and uh, that's how I started off at center back. Okay. Um, so uh, was that a was that a surprise to you? I spoke to Paul Bravo earlier this week and I know he knew you a little bit from your time at UCLA, but he really credits Gary with the scouting of you and thinking like this is something that you had a skill set that could actually work. So I'm wondering from your perspective if uh, you think the same. 100%. Um, it's it's so funny because I remember being uh, playing at center back and then talking to a couple of my friends up in Toronto, uh, some of the staff and things, and I'm like, oh, man, why didn't we think of that? But, like I had never thought about it. You know, usually if my speed, usually going off the right side to get crosses in, trying to get assists. Um, they never really thought about just having me at the center back, but with that pairing with Drew Moore, he would t- 
take out anything in the air and I would run anything down the ground and it just worked out very well. Talk to me about your relationship with Drew Moore. I know he's still playing, but I've, I've yet to come across anybody who interacted with you guys professionally who didn't have wonderful things to say about you guys as human beings in your relationship. Add another one to the Drew Moore category. <laughs> I mean, that guy, he's, he's just incredible. He's just such a good guy. He's, um, he's, he can be intense on the field, but never to the point of, um, of anger or non-constructive criticism. He's always wants the best. If you're not doing well, you know, yo, come on, boys. He's more of that kind of guy. Um, versus the angry, you got to do better type of guy. And just having him next to you, he's very good at communication. You always know he's supposed to be on the field and he's never asking you to do more than what he does. So you almost want to work for him as opposed to just being a teammate, you know, that's the parents are supposed to do. So having him back there, and you also have a lot of confidence in him as a one-on-one -on -one defender, also with the balls in the air. I mean, I, I can't I can't speak enough to how great Drew Moore is as a person and a senior. Mm -hmm. um, I guess with the timing of being traded to Colorado, um, you know, you were kind of that last big piece for the team defensively. Jeffrey Lewinowitz had been added that offseason, but, you know, in the previous year, um, Paul Bravo kind of talked about wanting the central spine of the team there. And when he and Gary showed up, it was Pablo. It was the two strikers up top, but they needed a D mid. They needed to make some moves at center back. And you were kind of that last big piece with Drew already being there, Matt Pickens and Kosuke Kimura. Um, you know, did you feel that that defensive core was solidified and how easy was it for you to get acclimated to the team and playing a slightly different position given the people you had around you? So I've, I've had a couple of people ask me this. How, how big of a change was it going from right back to sit like the right center back? And, you know, it's, it's actually a lot different. Um, so what really helped me out back there was obviously having Drew Moore to my left really helped me out, but also Kosuke. When it came to being on this team and feeling welcome, Kosuke Kimura was basically the welcoming committee. He and Omar Cummings, they just, like, I mean, Kosuke is always smiling. Like, if you see him, he is always smiling because that's really him. Um, and he was that, he was just an absolute workhorse. I mean, at, at all times, he's just going to, like, run his, little legs off as much as you can. So being at center back and you just felt very, very comfortable in that position. Yet you always knew where you were supposed to be. On your left, you had a lot of guidance from Drew. On the right, you had Koski running up and down, also coming back to assist and, you know, talking you through and like you could get the ball, telling you where to go, basically being, you have two extra set of eyes when you're on the pitch behind you, in front of you, to your left and all around. So being in that situation just felt good. Um, I know the left back position uh, kind of changed a little bit. Danny Rose did start there. And then one of my best friends ever, Anthony Wallace, came through later on. And just feeling solidified in the position, it's it's a tough to say because obviously in a professional uh, environment, you can always lose your position. You can always try to get it back. But I felt us being back there just felt comfortable. And it's it just I, I just had a lot of confidence in that position, more so than I felt in um, on any other team professionally. Wow, that's, that says a lot. Um your dad was a professional baseball player, Marvell Sr. Um, were you called junior growing up around the house? And did he try to push you towards playing baseball as opposed to soccer? He was big Marvell. I was little Marvell. Okay, <laughs> little Marvell. As far as he said, little Marvell. What? Run up and down. And um, soccer came first when I was about three or so. But, you know, obviously my dad was playing. He'd like to go in the backyard and throw the ball around play catch. I'd, I'd want to get the ball on the ground and try kicking around. And I think, <laughs> I think there's there's a very difficult translation from going to you know, throwing a ball to kicking and then kicking the ball, throwing the ball. But uh, he, he tried pushing me into baseball a little bit. And I was just one of those kids that was just, you know, I did well in minors or like, you know, T-ball, hit it, run. 
miners go, you know, hit it, run. Then they started creating this curveball thing that made no sense to me. So as long as I got on base, it was just steal, 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 steal. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I guess there's a there's a big difference between tracking, you know, the uh, across, you know, for a cor- an in swinging corner is much different than dealing with that. But um, how is obviously there's a lot of soft skills and just general commitment, level of practice, attention to detail that's super relevant. That was relevant for him as a professional baseball player. Did that kind of carry over in terms of just, you know, him teaching you some like how to go about being a professional, even if the sports you were playing were very different? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that they said in particular was, um, like, even when I was kind of getting recruited to colleges and, you know, possibly being able to go pro, he would always say, just stick to the game that you know how to play. If you try to um, play your, play a certain game at a higher level, like you try to make passes that you don't usually, tr- that you don't usually uh, attempt and it's kind of out of your wheelhouse, then you may try to impress, but they may fall through. They may fall flat. They may not go off as well. So you may end up looking worse than you would look if you just played your game. Plus, when you got onto that team, they might be expecting a consistent style of play that they saw in this game of yours or in this tournament of yours, and then you wouldn't perform. So you might as well just stick to what you know best. And as well, once you became pro, if you got traded, that's never a negative. That just means that someone else wants you more than the team that you're on, so you're going to a better place. Mm-hmm. How did your time at Toronto, you know, I know that was the first real opportunity where you got to play most of the season. How did that kind of help you get settled at PMLS level and did it prepare you for the challenges that would come upon getting traded to Colorado? That was tough, man. Uh, Toronto was first of a revolving door of coaches and players the entire time I was there. So I think the whole aspect of, you know, your time on any team is very finite was, you know, pretty much drilled into my head. I mean, in Toronto, it was a joke that once you got a cell phone plan, you were traded. And it was, <laughs> it was on point too. Like it was, it was within like a week or so. First, it was like, it was like Edson Buttle, then Aleko Eskandarian, and then just players just kept coming in and out and in and out. Um, mm-hmm. but being able to play on that team, you know, it's being able to play wasn't really that much of a confidence booster because we didn't get a lot of results. So I was getting the minutes, but I was, I never, I never got the feeling that like I was playing well. I was doing well. I was, you know, at my peak. So, um, it was, it was a rough start, but it was definitely a start that, um, of course I, I would never regret because it was humbling and it just kind of made me feel like, you know, it's a, it's a full team sport. I can play my best game ever, but the team doesn't succeed and we don't succeed. And then that's not good enough. So what can I do to help everybody else on my team perform their best so that we can as a whole perform well and succeed? Mm-hmm. Uh, April 18th, 2010, you guys are getting off to a good start and you guys play Toronto FC at DSG. You end up winning 3-1. What do you remember about that game? Was there any emotional significance to it? There was uh, 100% because I, I didn't like Precky. Okay. <laughs> I did not like Precky very much. Uh, he was he was just one of those those coaches that, you know, was, was unlike any other. He was just, he was very hard. Like, you couldn't, like, no one could do anything right. He was very pushy. He was just, it was almost, it was it was like too much, you know. There was no, there was never a way of uh, pleasing the guy or making it feel better. But um, I do remember at the end of the game going to, Every single one of my players had given him a hug. Every single teammate of mine. And I think I might have even gone to Gary Smith and given him a hug because it was one of those, like, I never wanted to get traded from Toronto. I really liked the city. I really liked the players. It was great. Just, you know, Frankie had me kind of in a, you know, a bad, a bad headspace. But, um, I remember going around and thanking each player, you know, like, you know, that meant enough, that meant a lot to me personally because, you know, 
although I'm a, I was in a place that I had never expected to be, I was, I was, I was happier. And it kind of, that kind of just gave me like a full circle as to why. Mm-hmm. So I guess on, on that note, talk to me about, you know, Gary Smith, the human being and just how he approached you from coaching standpoint, given his emphasis on strength up the middle and being stout at the back. You, what I really like about Gary, but first of all, as a person, he's, he's very upfront. He's, there, there's no, there's no gray area. He knows exactly what he wants from you and you know exactly what he expects. And when it comes to the trainings, they would at sometimes be boring, just formations and situations and ball goes here, ball gets played here. And we're just like, yeah, we're moving. Yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, we're doing that. They would almost load you to sleep. But when you took that onto the pitch during a game, it was just mechanical. Everybody knew where they were going to be at the same time. And I, before I got the ball, I knew where I was going to go. Plus, I had players talking the entire time. So it's only like, it's almost as if I knew where I was going before the ball even came to me because I knew where everybody was situated because of the formations and the practices that we had along with everybody talking. So I think it was a great compilation of just, um, great coaching in terms of getting everyone on the same page at the same time. And as well as the players themselves really buying into it and really believing that we can be a top tier team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going I'm, the the clubs made some of the old footage. I've watched MLS Cup now three times over, and then a couple of times for the playoff games, and you can really see the phases of play. I guess we'll get into this when we get to some specific games, but it also seems you guys had a formula, you executed it to a T often, but a, a couple of times, particularly against Columbus and at times against Dallas it kind of made you guys look a little bit predictable. And so I'm wondering, how did you guys deal with that? Or were you just doubling down on the system or trying to make adjustments to the opponent? We never, we, I never felt like we faltered. Um, even if it did seem predictable, we because it was kind of a formula that got us to where we were, which was where no one thought we would be able to go, we kind of just decided to stick to it. Like It's, it's what we knew. And if one of us decided to go rogue, that could really throw things like like a little like it could really throw things off for the whole team because if you are obviously moving as a machine, then you know you remove a piece, then things don't start moving as well. So um, in in terms of being like a predictable thing, yeah, that's understandable. But you know, if maybe just if we can perform it in a in a I guess a different pace, maybe a little bit faster, or maybe just going instead of going from left to right predictably, we try going the opposite way. Then maybe we can switch things up slightly, but obviously, I mean, we were pretty much playing with two defensive mids as well, so it wasn't as if we were really trying to throw things into the uh, throw things forward and really get at them. More so, just maintain possession, wait for our time to attack, and then move forward. Yeah, no, that that makes sense now that I look about it, thinking about times, particularly against Dallas in the final, where they had a lot of possession, at least certainly that second leg at times um, against Columbus. So thank you for that. Um, We've yet to speak to Connor Casey. We're planning to, so obviously we're going to ask him about, um, you know, what happened for him emotionally when he ended up not making the World Cup squad. But even after that, you know, the team starts to slow down a little bit. Um, you guys went winless in July, and then three of those were 1-1 draws where you guys were actually from a winning position. Um, what do you remember about that time with the team and maybe what wasn't working or what did you guys do to turn it around? It felt, it just felt a little off. It's really hard to say exactly, you know, why do certain teams go through summer slumps or why do certain teams just kind of alter at certain times or really, or when they, uh, you know, usually peak near the end when it comes to playoff time. Um, it was, it was more of a situation where despite how the results came, we had, 
leaders like Pablo, Drew, Jeff, Jamie Smith, that just, it was, it was all, it, it, it never felt as if we were in a slump and we were just doing, and we were playing poorly. It was more so, oh man, we just missed this one. All right, next game we can try to move. Oh, we just missed this one. All right, next game. It was never just an all-encompassing, we lost this many games in a row. We're playing poorly. We need to fix it. It was just, you know what? We were right there for this game. We were right here for that game. And so it was more of a, mm, so close, maybe next game type of mentality as opposed to look at this and look at the slump that we're in. What are we doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the bringing in Brian Mullins, bringing in Matt Conji, that that helped, um, you know, the team and all in terms of the way that you answer that question makes me think that, you know, just, you know, soccer can be a game of little moments and maybe some of those little moments didn't go your guys' way and you found ways to start winning those little moments. Obviously, Connor and Omar turning on towards the end of the season, but those additions that you guys made in September ended up being huge as well. Yeah, that was, but that's, that's also a largely part to Gary Smith as well. So when we came to watch video, it'd be, you know, we lost this particular situation in this particular moment. If this tackle was just gone in a little bit more hard instead of so soft, so they got out of it, then we wouldn't have had this play that led to this play, which led to a goal. Or if we would just put away this chance, or if we just slid tackled here, it did come to very particular moments. And he was almost able to pinpoint to precise throw in to where it all led up into it to be became, you know, something negative for us or something that became positive for us. So we really, he really uh, got us to be aware of each little situation and really had us to be present. And the addition of Brian Mullen at the end, it was funny because he would just sit in his little cubby and he'd like read a book when he first came along. <laughs> and be like, Brian, like, like, this guy doesn't really talk much. I mean, I know he's got, you know, he's played for a long time, got to get tenure, but who is this guy? Um, but when he came onto the field, it was, uh, he's one of the nicest guys in the world too. I mean, he's right up there with Drew Moore to me. Uh, great guy, great heart, will absolutely be a workhorse, never wants to stop, does not take the, you know, I'm a veteran, I have this, I have that. No, no, no. I mean, he's, he's out there working with the rest of them. And Makuma Kanji, he was just like a breath of fresh air. This is, this is tall, lanky kid coming in with great footwork, great skill. And it just, he just added a little bit of, of fun to the team. And it was, it was great seeing him around. It just, it was a little bit that he almost like didn't fit in because of the way he moved. Like there weren't a lot of dribblers and those types on the team. Like there weren't a lot of the ones that wanted to like do fancy tricks and things, but he's the one that had like some fancy footwork. So when he came in up top, he'd add a little something to um, our attack. And it was, it was, it was good to have him. Yeah. He's almost, I'd say him and Paul Bravo were the closest thing you guys had to a, a prototypical number 10. And I, I asked, I ended up having, you know, about maybe 10 minutes with, Paul Bravo the other day talking about the fact that, you know, you guys didn't sign a big DP number 10. And that's a thing that a lot of MLS fans will complain about. But, you know, he immediately said, like, look at our system and look at the way that we wanted to play. We didn't need somebody or we that's not the player that we were looking to pursue, but we could still get that from other players. And I felt like Matt Kanji was he, he brought what a number 10 brought, not in that same position, though. Yeah, I would agree. It was because he, he, he was a he was a good presence on the field, like he he drew a lot of attention when he was on the ball. Like he got the ball, and it was one of those you know you have to be on your toes because you don't know which way he's going to move, which way he's going to go, and then we could run off of him or we could play it back, and he'd make a run. And I think that performed very well. I remember at the time thinking, you know, how are we going to compete with all these other teams signing these big name, big money players? I mean, who are we going to be? Just the Colorado Rapids just coming in with our 
with our with our young guys and our just our some of our veterans that you know have done well in the past. And I mean, we just a hodgepodge of guys that haven't played together in so long. I know the Salt Lake had a very solid you know diamond in the middle, and they've been all playing together for years. And we're just guys thrown together. I mean, you know, what can we accomplish? But there you are. Yeah, um, I want to go back to you talking about the uh, film sessions with Gary Smith and kind of how pointing, you know, like you mentioned, like he pointed out a specific throw in where there was a slight little thing, you know, again, maybe just a little moment with a guy, a step off of where he should have been that ultimately created that. And it seemed like so much of your guys's defensive structure and his coaching and the sequences of play you were talking about were so much more about preventing fires than trying to put out even the smallest ember. He had to be very aware that anytime the ball is on the field, it's dangerous, no matter what. I mean, when the ball is about to come on the field or if someone has a ball on the back and they're picking their head up, that small little nudge up looking forward can cause us, if we're not aware, we might have to step forward right when he's about to kick it versus stepping back where we can keep everything in front of us. Um, I, I couldn't tell you the amount of times that we started going through, again, the throw-ins were the worst because we're sitting there like, it's a throw-in on their third. How could that possibly lead to a goal? But as the play went, and then as we got dragged into a certain area and got pulled out of position, it would go and they'd have a chance. And he wouldn't just call out once that became goals. He would say, this was a dangerous opportunity, and this is how we barely got by with it. So he just kind of had all this be more aware and more present about whenever the ball's in play, we need to know where our position is, where our teammates are, and where our opponents are. So he does that in film study. How does that then get executed or dealt with and worked on in training? Every now and then, if it was if it was like a serious, uh, not serious, but if it was a direct throw-in that led to a pass, to a pass, to a cross, to a goal, then we might actually go and re- redo that exact play on in training. Possibly go through it like three or four times, and then he would, it's almost like he was learning as he was teaching so he would say okay so he'd go there with a throw anyways he'd say okay so he's there he's there he's there marv if you move over to the right to the left so he'd look at it from his point of view and think okay so i see a gap if you were to possibly move this way block that off okay that 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 looks foggier to me like that that looks like a ball that i would hesitate to play so i might go a different way and then and so we would take that on and then we would move and uh just kind of learn that situation you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but talk to me about Anthony Wallace and what he brought to the team. Wallace, well, my boy. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, he just, to, to me personally, he brought just a, a real friend. But uh, what he brought to the game, he speed and, and a, just a great left foot. I think he was very um, threatening when he was on that side. He had really good crosses. He had decent pace. And I, I think he was just, he was just very smart. Um, he, he also worked really hard. So he was that kind of left back that would tend to defend more than go offense. Like he wasn't the one that mostly tried to go in and go for the crosses. He'd mostly try to throw get penetrating balls in, but mostly focus on defense and make sure like he was mostly very cautious. He didn't want to do the running up and down the flank over and over and over. He, what I learned from him later was more so, you know, if you had to run forward or run back, have the energy to run back. So he tried to get those balls up forward up a little bit, but always be checking his shoulders and make sure that he was able to at least help defensively whenever he possibly could. Yeah. Um, two kind of games down the stretch where you guys are looking to finally 
get into the playoffs are kind of two games that stuck out for me looking back and thinking about that year. And it was um, October 9th, uh, the 2-2 draw at FC Dallas. Um, and then a, a, I'm, I'm surprised that people don't bring this up more often, that 3-1 win that you guys had on October 16th against the LA Galaxy where you guys you know, just, you know, really dominated. And I know that was supposed to be the LA Galaxy's year because they had lost an MLS Cup last year. So I know a lot of people were kind of already crowning them Supporters Shield and MLS Cup champions doing the the double in 2010. What do you remember about those two games and how big were those for you, both getting into the playoffs and just confidence boosting? I remember Dallas being that team that took everybody by surprise. Like they hadn't lost at home or they set some sort of record that year. And I remember thinking, but we did not lose to Dallas. I think we might have tied them twice during the season, but we did not lose to Dallas. And they were completely on fire. And the 2-2 in Dallas, I remember just, and that place, that is a hard place to play. And they were doing so well. And the fact, you know, we're not a big goal scoring team, but in order to get two goals against them, even though we went two down, I mean, I thought that was huge for us. I mean, the specifics of the game were just having Breck Shea and Dax McCarty in the middle, just, and Fierro just, they just, they were just a powerhouse. They had just amazing players. And I remember that you're also not believing Galaxy was that big of a threat. I remember not fearing Galaxy or them being the Galaxy of, you know, of, of legend and all that. But mm-hmm. beating the Galaxy 3-1, it was, it, 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 it felt good. Like it, it almost solidified my confidence that we can, I can, we can go against absolutely any team. There is no team I fear. I have, confidence in my own abilities and in the abilities of this team to come in and not only compete but potentially be every single team we come with Mm -hmm. so you say you didn't fear the la galaxy did you guys fear fc dallas or did you respect dallas more than la personally i would say i respected dallas more than la Um, i just know personally going against them it was they were just a tougher team like they seemed more threatening it was it was uh it was as if when when we play against Dallas, it's like, okay, I know this is going to be a tough one. Like, I know they're going to come at us. I know they're going to come out hard, and I know that they're Regis. Like, we have to put our all to get a result against these guys. When it came against the Galaxy, it was more so. They have a couple of guys that if we can just shut them down, then we can kind of, you know, thwart their whole plan. But Dallas seemed to be more of a full force with the whole team effort. Mm-hmm. How how good was David Ferreira that year? Scary. Very good, very skillful. Um, and the, I mean, if he gets on the ball, you, if you don't close him down immediately, if he gets his head up for a second, he's going to play some dime just between defenders or right over the top in a flick. And then once, once you're seeing where that ball went, he's already running beyond you. He was just very sneaky, very tricky. And I mean, he was, he was an extremely skillful player. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the actual playoff games. Uh, what do you remember about playing against Columbus? You know, I know they, they didn't a lot of people want to remember that is that that year being proof that they were over the hill but i mean you know they had done the double in 2008 they won their supporter shield in 2009 and you know Guillermo Sparks Barros Scalotto wasn't at the full height of his powers but that was still a team to be reckoned with yeah i remember uh first of all playing them at home was you know it was a slog um but it, it didn't really seem like 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 it wasn't our toughest game that we played um, I don't know. It wasn't as like I was that fearful of them or what have you, but I, I always know that, you know, playing a team twice in a row is always tough. And then when we go to Columbus, right away, they were right on top of us. I was like, oh, okay. This is what I was expecting. And they came at us hard again. And I was, and that was, that was one of the tougher games. I mean, 
uh, things got close. I think Robbie Rogers might have gotten an assist early on or if not a goal. And they just, I mean, they were just attacking us. It felt like we were just completely in our third the entire game. And that was, that was a rough one. That was a lot of communication, but that was a lot of guys. We got to do this. We got to bind together. We got to go for it. I mean, there was no real, didn't feel like there was going to be, you know, a real outlet for us. It was mostly just, we got to do what we can and try to hang on here. Yeah. So I guess on, on that note, um, Julian Bade comes in, in a not uncommon substitution that Gary used at times that year going three at the back, or I think at some point in MLS cup, I think Drew Moore was at left back. Um, but I, I'm wondering generally when we talk about again, the phases of play and how you guys had drilled in your mechanics, what changed about that when you guys went three at the back and you went more to a right center back, sometimes doing full backy things. Um, and then what specifically was the plan when that substitution was made in that second leg in Columbus? That plan was just do what we can to just hunker down, get another big guy up, to, get another big guy in the back to go for the air and also a physical presence. If these guys want to come in and try to try to tack in and all that, Julian go in, be a physical guy, really knock them off the game, as well as having me back there, run people down, Drew back there as well, you know, grabbing balls in the air. It was more so to relieve pressure from the back at all times. So if we have to in the back, we can kind of, you know, more or less not necessarily man up, but we know, you know, the specific guys that we have. And if it gets the ball to the midfield, maybe possess the ball a little bit longer to like at least just relieve us of a little bit of pressure and have the ball moving forward versus if we just stay in the back with four in the back, then we're kind of welcoming more pressure on us. And we basically just go side to side as opposed to give the ball forward and being able to trickle a little bit, possess the ball a little bit away from our goal and give us a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. I remember. So you said that, you know, that I agree with you that first leg wasn't as troubling and you guys played really well. Um, I think the commentators, I don't remember who I had it. I had it on my notes, but, um, you know, said that you guys could have been up two nil at halftime. Do you feel that one nil was a fair result in that? Or were you guys kicking yourselves thinking that you could have gotten more? I think, I, I think we're kicking ourselves. I think we were kicking ourselves in terms of, you know, guys, like this is the game that we get to play at home. We have to put as many goals on the board as possible. And just getting that one nil win, despite being like the underdog in this situation, we really had to put that away and we could really give ourselves some sort of cushion because now we're going to Columbus, not a very easy place to play. And we, 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 we did good by ourselves by getting that goal, but I mean, this is going to be a tough one. Yeah. How hectic, you know, th- those final 15 minutes where you guys are down on aggregate and then Casey finally scores and then, you know, Columbus kind of, how hectic was, you know, it, it looked like chaos on the field watching that game, both you guys pushing for that goal and then Columbus trying to respond after Casey tied it. All of the crazy, just, just scattering, like, you know, you know what I said, like, you know, I have confidence in my team, like, you know, we get our position or whatever. Now it's just everybody back. We're playing. If we're creating an eight one one. I don't know. Just everybody back because because they had put the pressure on so early and they they had it on there so fierce that it was like we like it was like okay so first they're coming like a like a like a you know a trapped a trapped animal just trying to get out and now it's a trapped animal that you now just poked in the eye so now it's like okay they're coming as hard so just you know, frantically running around do as much as you can it was just, at that point it was just it like it like game plan is just. When in doubt, kick it out. We need to fall away from our goal because they're going to be coming at us. And we, if they get a sniff of anything, they're going to put it in the back of the net. So we, that was just, it, it was frantic. It looked frantic. It was frantic. Okay. Um, what was, uh, so you have the, so I guess the end of full time and a little bit of huddle before extra time and then a brief, maybe one, two minutes in the extra time halftime. Um, what was said in the huddle? What were you guys focusing on? Or was it just, was it purely just adrenaline at that point? 
all adrenaline. I, I couldn't even tell you what was said. I mean, in my head, I'm guessing it was anything that anybody would think because nothing really stuck out. It was just, guys, we have to hold on here. They're, they're coming at us. They've been doing this this entire time. Stay strong in the back. Stay focused. When we get the ball, you know, pass it out. Try to maintain position as much as possible. But if we lose that ball, everybody gets behind the ball as fast as possible. We do not let them get close to our net. How big was, you know, I know Omar got subbed off, um, I think at the beginning of extra time, I think Matt came on and it just, it felt like a lot of that game was just Connor up top all on his own. And I think, a, you know, a typical goal in terms of him cutting through kind of similar to the one that he scored in the final. How big was he in that game? Connor's always been huge. I mean, what, what surprised me about Connor is his, he's big, but his, he's still really agile. And I do know that playing against or playing for him or playing with him, and then playing against him, he is amazing at getting himself space to turn. He's a big body up top, so he gets the ball, he get it down, and he do a little juke one way, and then he take a big cut, kind of away from the player as well. So they go right. He take a big cut, kind of diagonal to his left, get him enough space to kind of turn, pick his head up, and then find another pass, and then move forward. He was a big target up top, and he got us a lot. He he gave us a lot of time, and a lot of space, and a lot of room to move forward and to take a break. I mean, Connor was. Connor, Connor was massive that game, absolutely. Mm -hmm. How big was Matt Pickens, especially in regular time, and how much confidence do you have given what he had done that day going into PKs? I think Matt Pickens is he—he he's, was one of the best shot stoppers I've ever played with, and uh, he was one of those—he was one of those keepers that just wouldn't stop talking about every little thing. And when you're playing with him, it's just like Matt. I mean, I know what I'm doing. I you know this and that and the other, but. At the same time, it's respect to the point of like he is saying something because he sees something that you may not, or you're both seeing the same thing. So you got to take that as we both see the same thing. We both see a danger. So we better not let that go through. So when it comes to that and being huge, I mean, confidence and when it comes to PKs, it's always shaky. But just having him on the pitch like in the middle of uh, overtime is just, I mean, I, I wouldn't want anybody else back there. Mm -hmm. So you said, so Matt's a big talker. Drew is a big talker, you know, Kosuke's going up and down and, you know, wanting the ball or being an outlet, I guess. Were, were you the quiet guy in game at the back? When it comes to those, no, no, I, no, I learned to talk more from Drew. Because coming from Toronto, communication wasn't, it wasn't as hammered in as it was there. I mean, Pablo Mastroni, he was the one that said, we all need to talk. And he made sure everyone spoke or else he would just start, he would start just hammering me. So, I was the quieter one, but then I became louder and louder as I got more comfortable because everybody was talking. Mm -hmm. So I say Kosuke was probably the most quiet because he didn't have, you know, two players around him at all times. He looked forward. He helped me a little bit, but I remember talking to Kosuke a lot more. I became louder. I became more boisterous. I found my voice. And then, yeah, then it was just, it was just all, a lot of talking, a lot of yelling, every game, all game. Yeah, and then the, the the communication was a key part of what Gary wanted in terms of you guys understanding where to go with the ball. And like where you talked about by the time before, so let's say Pablo's paying a back pass to you. before By the time he collects the ball, you already know and anticipate he's going to turn and look for you. You're going to go right with Kosuke and you already know that because of what had been drilled into you guys at training and because of how much everybody was yelling at each other. Am I absolutely okay. Absolutely. Before like as Jeff got the ball, if Jeff looked like he was going to turn to his right, as soon as he opened his hips, I'd start backing up. Drew would start going left. 
Coast Coast guard going right. Pablo gets the ball, turn around, come to me, go to Coast. Come to me, go to Drew. And then from there, Pablo's already making a move for the one-two going around and looking forward, or someone's making a run down the line. Let's talk about the game against San Jose. You know, I just, I rewatched that and I remember watching it live and thinking that, you know, that was absolutely, there was no outcome that wasn't going to be a Rapids win at that point. What did you guys do to stymie um, San Jose so well, especially given that, you know, Wanda was playing and, you know, I know Giovanni's time at San Jose wasn't big, but, you know, he seemed really energetic that year. <sighs> playing in this course that year, it was, again, a team that, had had gotten there and we don't know how they got there just like us it was like they weren't expected to get to the eastern conference finals the <laughs> rapid for san jose right but um i mean obviously wanda was has always been a threat and then we have to watch out for the dang bash brothers right um mm-hmm. and with alan gordon and um with uh lenny getting leonard and we knew that i mean there was a joke amongst us that after we played san jose i remember in the shower julian bought in and i were like all right, he's like, where's, where's your bruise? I'm like, I don't think I got one today. It's like, oh, no, under my arm. You look at him, he's like, one here and got one here. Cause he's just, they're just scrappers. They just pull and grab. So it came to the point where like, if you want to come out and you want to come to Colorado and you want to come against us, then you know that we're going to put up a fight and all that. But if you want to come up and you actually try to bruiser us, we will shut you down. We're not going to be, we're not going to be beaten up. We're not, not at home, not by you. We're going to stand firm. And I think we came and we we all showed up that game. I mean, it was it was a very it was a very not relaxed but a very comfortable feel, almost the epitome of what I said in terms of everybody was mechanical and we all knew what was going to happen. And then and then Kosuke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how big was not not just his overall performance, but just that goal, especially given uh, you know, because Connor and Omar had a couple of chances, but it seems like you know in a lot of really key moments somebody who wasn't one of those two came up, you know, Pablo scores the goal against Columbus. And, you know, it just, it so happened that, you know, that day was Kosuke's day. I couldn't be happier for Kosuke, man. I mean, clearly no one expected something like that to happen, but Kosuke, again, he's just an absolute workhorse. I mean, he gets up and down the lines. He will, like, if you tell him, like, if, if I was down there, like, Kosuke, go right. He's, he's right immediately. I mean, if he, I mean, if he's not already there because of you know, everything that we practiced and all that, but, when he goes and he scores that goal, just being Kosuke and the humble, just hardworking guy that may go unnoticed because he's just so consistent on the right side, having him score that goal meant, I'm sure meant so much to him, but like we were all very happy for him at the same time because we know Kosuke, we know how he works. We appreciate everything he does every game, but for him to do something that was that huge, that meant so much for the club, just... It was, it was, it just, it just felt great. Like we were, we were so happy for him. It was, it was, it was awesome. How confident were you guys going into MLS Cup given that 2-2 draw at the end of the regular season against Dallas? I don't know if anybody walked in with their, you know, like, you know, we got this sort of thing. I'm sure we all try to portray that, but I think we were all just like, it's Dallas again. <laughs> like we played them twice this year. They, I mean, their records have been set. Um, our games against them have had that they've both been tied, I believe. So it was just like, you know, this is absolutely going to be anyone's game. And I remember, um, before the game, Omar and Connor were asleep on the, on the, um, on the training tables before the game, just getting in their zone, doing their own things. I don't remember them doing that at any other time, but they were, they were cool, calm, collected. Um, the night before the game, we had 
you know, like a team dinner. Kosuke did uh, a toast in Japanese. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Gary Smith said a few words. Um, I believe Pablo did it as well. And it was just, it was, it was a very happy home. We're amongst family type of feeling. And I mean, that's the best that you can ask for going in. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather have a feeling like that than, you know, we've got this, we're going to win. Or, you know what? I'm so scared. We, you know, we have to, we have to work really hard. And I don't think we got this sort of feeling. I mean, I'd rather go into, um, to a game with, my family than with a bunch of teammates that are just raw 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 and all the time mm-hmm. was it weird i know this was shell's time in is a bit of unlike gary was very much a tinker master um what you know what was the plan for dealing with atipa harris up top and was it weird the fact that he started the final given that you know jeff cunningham i don't know if he had the record at that time but obviously set the record and has since been surpassed by wando <sighs> I, we, in my thoughts, I was thinking, all right, so they're going to play him the ball in the air and they most likely might play on my side. Cause I mean, having him go up or maybe just wanted to go up against him and Drew because they needed some type of way to, uh, to, to solve that situation. Cause Drew will win everything in the air. That man is an absolute beast. So Atiba is also very good in this. He's like, all right, if the ball is going to go over the top, this is the way we're going to have to go for it because maybe just balls on the ground on my side just, just wasn't going to work. They have to do some ticky tacky stuff throughout. So. I think he tried to more so neutralize what we had on defense than to find an advantage in another way and then try to work its way up through the midfield and just play it all the way through and up. What do you remember about the goal that Ferreira scores in the first half? What went wrong there and did that, you know, was that a, a, a moment of urgency or panic at all for you and Drew? The drive between us, man. I remember looking at, looking for the cross and it was just, the cross was so good because it's just behind Drew, just in front of Matt. And before I could react, it was a good ball, little slip. I think that had happened to us a couple of times throughout the year. And I'm just this, I mean, I, I, my, my, my heart kind of dropped for a second, but the way we were playing and, you know, I still had that confidence about us, that, that, that feeling of we can still be any team. So although we were down, I knew we weren't out. Um, but I mean, that, that put some, that put some kind of pressure on that. You know, I obviously hadn't felt before. I hadn't been in the last couple before. And now we're down to this team that, you know, had done so well and that had given us so much trouble throughout the season. I would say that it was, it was, it was a downer for sure. But again, Drew back there, Matt back there, Pablo back there, Jeff talking, um, Jamie Smith, everybody just like, come on, come on guys. And it was like, it wasn't just, it wasn't just words. It was, come on guys, we can do this. It was like, you know what? I know we can. Yes, we can. There was no, it was the middle of a final and there was still time in that first half. There was no time to feel sorry for yourself. And because of the guys that you had on the field, nobody was going to feel sorry for themselves or allow anybody else to get their head down. There was no time for that at all. You better get going. If you start feeling sorry for yourself, then they will crush you. And no one let anyone go down. They got the ball. They played it right away. Once you got your next touch on the ball, you're like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. That play with Connor Casey, where he goes down at the box, I think a couple minutes before that goal, and he gets into it with Benitez. And those two were, I think at some point, they got double yellow cards from Toledo. And I honestly want to believe that in the back of Toledo's head, it was persistent infringement on the other as opposed to on the team as a whole. Should that have been a penalty? And I mean, just how much was Connor battling that whole game? 
Benitez was one of the most annoying left backs to ever play against. I, he was just, because he was that guy that, like, he'd be scrapping, kicking your heels, doing all this stuff. you push him, whatever, and then he'd fall down. Or he'd yell and make a noise, and he'd get in your face, and you're just like, you're such a little... <laughs> he was so frustrating. So um, I remember I remember seeing that. It, I mean, Connor definitely embarrassed a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure if it was a penalty or not. I, I think it could have gone one way or the other, but I mean... I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't upset that it wasn't called. I, was, I just said, okay, that's fine. But this Benitez and his yellows, man, yeah, even, I mean, that, that, that I could, I could only imagine. Cause I mean, again, I'm a right back. He's a left back. I only get to go against him a couple times when he tries to come against me. I go against him. We still have a long ways to go, but just having him on your backside at all times and just being the way it is, you have to have, you have to have some kind of mental power to be able to to not want to crush his head like connor yeah, probably just, wanted just to. like a peanut man so <laughs> i get more props to connor i'll i'll speak the world of him going into extra time obviously it's 1-1 was it as frantic as against columbus or can you actually remember what was said in the plan that you guys had for going forward and ultimately getting the goal we got here we got here and we're at this point boys we've we've got here playing the way that we've been playing so the thing is maintain composure we they're they're gonna come at us we're gonna go at them and it's gonna just be a battle of wills and there's a particular plan involved of just you know you do your thing and all this other stuff it was just keep it going like it what we have done has worked that's what they have to focus on so just keep playing the best that you can because well i, I suppose in a regular game it would be like you know, we've done it. We've done really well. We're going to walk out this game with our head, with our heads held high and we can be proud of ourselves. But this was more, you will put it, leave it all on the field. There is no next game. So there was that much of a push into it that kind of had us get up and over the hill. And also with Benitez, when Connor did score his goal, you can see when he's had that shot, Benitez kind of went down with his elbow and he tried to block it. And it went in right under. That's why I love that goal so much more every time I watch it. So just got to just gotta bring that up there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was looking at that's a, a question that I actually have for Connor. Cause if you look at it a couple angles, it's kind of hard to tell if it like, uh, if it like deflects under his left leg as he's falling down or if his arm actually, you think his arm, his left arm actually does trap it the first time? No, I think, I think when the, I think when the ball goes in, he actually tries to stop it. Like he was going down and he actually went for it. Like he, okay. like he would have, he would have taken a handball on the line for it, but he missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I can, I can definitely see how that was. That was cathartic, certainly for the whole team and certainly, um, for you. Um, how big was Matt Pickens in extra time? Like I could describe a play and a specific save that he made, but I feel like, you know, we could talk for an hour just about some of those that he made. Every time I watch that shot by uh, the center back, uh, George, George John, George John, yeah, George John, right in the 18th. There's how do you get to that ball? There's it's impossible to get to that ball. It makes no sense. But I, I have no idea how Pickens made that save. But he he keeps. He, it seems like everybody had a certain moment where they came up huge. I remember back there when. The ball was brought, like bounced around the six. Drew Moore had a clear, like right off the line or what have you. And then, I mean, again, Pickens, Pickens was just being Pickens. I don't think at that point we were even talking to each other. I think it was, I think it was just either, either we were just quiet and just all focused on what we had to do because we all knew our part that had to be done. Or when someone else spoke, 
it was just so natural that it was just like it was our own thought and we just moved together and we just knew what had to be done like all like everybody on the team Mm -hmm. what was the what was going through your head or emotions or just the you know you described how maybe the emotions and the thought just become electricity through your body almost what was you know how was that once you saw that mac had to come off the field and you guys were finishing the game with 10 men uh oh <laughs> just that's first of all I, I went over there and it was still because i remember um ugo hemelu was going over there trying to get him up and push him up like you know get up like get back on your feet and he kept limping i'm like like i don't know if i'm like oh, maybe he's wasting time i don't know but you know we're gonna milk this for all we can it's okay mac you know whatever and then he finally goes out he goes out i'm like <laughs> okay <laughs> okay i get it now but then he had to stay off because he actually hurt himself i was like all right, here we go. But at the same time, you know, we still had our back line. So we had, we, we just, it, it was almost as if there couldn't be more pressure on us anyway. It was like we were playing a man down, but so what? We could have been playing with three men down. We still would have felt the same amount of pressure because they were going to throw it all at us anyway. Yeah, it could have helped, but we wouldn't have even known the difference. It was just packed in. Mm-hmm. Was there any specific defensive play for you in that game that you made that sticks out? I think it was just, it was just one header, I believe. I think there was a, there was a, the ball was kind of bouncing around. It was near the top of the 18 and just, um, it, it just, I think it just bounced up. And I just remember not knowing how I can still jump as high as I could, just going out and just clearing it and giving us just a little bit of extra time going through. I mean, that's the only defensive play that I can remember that I did. Other than that, again, Drew's clear, Pickens' save. Um, I got scared. Dax had a flick on header that kind of just went right over the bar for, uh, against us. And then, yeah, that's, 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 those, are, those are the plays I remember. There were a couple of times in, we'll say late in regular time, where Dallas is really pushing, trying to get that second goal. And I agree with you. Some of the, def- the defensive setup, the way that you guys had, and the way you approached Dallas inherently stymied a lot of what they did a lot of what you guys did negated david Ferreira, and he had one chance and obviously he ends up scoring that but there was a point in there where you guys were fouling them a bunch there was a lot of back and forth you know we don't we don't need to go down of who baldomero toledo is when it comes to managing some of those high leverage games but i mean was that were there moments of frustration or was that part of the plan from a physicality standpoint or just a believing that you guys could win battles easier on set pieces than from the run of play. No, that was a point of frustration. We knew that they were, again, George was a big boy, and we knew that they had guys that were fairly decent in the air. So when it came to fouls, we, we, we gave them fouls in very dangerous spots, and that just put the pressure on us, and we did. We, that, was, that was not part of the plan. Um, but it was all a part of just being there. Like You're still going to give it your all, and if you're all in going in for, going in for a tackle, but you happen to take them out or they fall easy and all that, then so be it. Again, there's no time of you fouled him. Why do you foul him? You know, you're putting us in dangerous position. It was, there was a foul, get back. Mm-hmm. There, was, there wasn't enough time to critique. It was, we know what to do in this situation. Now we have to do it. You know, there were a couple of those moments against Columbus. And at least I heard fans mention that. And maybe that's their own, you know, memory of one particular play that then gets magnified. But was that... Was that something that you felt was a theme within the team, both sometimes getting frustrated with 
fouling opponents and then also the automatic reset of, you know, let's say you make a mistake, for example, Jeff Lorenowitz doesn't even have time. It's not productive for him to yell at you. Let's deal with the set piece. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, that's what happened. I mean, again, the fouls weren't planned, but because we all knew what had to be done, we, we, we stuck to it. Jeff is a very hard nose. He's, he's a tough guy. He's, he's going to go with you. That's the way he plays. And the way he plays, with the way he plays comes fouls. And when fouls happen, then we all adjust. It's a team effort, a team thing. I would rather have Jeff be Jeff than to go in soft. And who knows what could happen after that? If you get around Jeff, then they have numbers forward and they can come at us and then run a play. It was fouls are made. We get back. You do the yelling to make sure everybody has a mark. Everybody's in the line. Everybody holds the line. You don't drop until they're about to kick the ball. You stay steady and you don't lose your mirror. What were your emotions on the final whistle? Release. Like, um, in season, whenever I would, whenever we would win a game, it'd be, all right, boys, yeah, good win. Now we have to win the next one or we lose. All right, boys, we lost. We got to recover this. I want to get back to training as fast as possible so I can, like, perf, I, I can work on the weaknesses or ways that I got scored on because of the center back. It was, if, I, if we got scored on, there was a way I could prevent it. So we got scored on. How can I prevent it? But this was, we did it. Like, that was it. Like, we, like, we, we, we made it all the way. I can actually cheer. I remember just jumping and screaming, and I ran over to Kosuke as fast as I could. I gave him a hug, and then just ran and screamed. I mean, it was, uh, that was, uh, all, all the good things about all, everything soccer just kind of exploded at once. Mm hmm. What was your, and I'll, I'll let you, if you, you can give two memories, if there's one that's specific to the finals or the playoff and one specific to the regular season, but do you have a, a favorite memory or kind of moment from that whole year? It, it might be my, my first game with the, with the Rapids. Like I honestly believe that game against Chivas was one of the best games I had ever played. And it was as a center back. Uh, I remember running down one of the Chivas USA forwards and just, and, and being back with you, it was just a, a certain feeling that, like, I, like, I never think I have a good game. I just don't. It's not a thing that has ever happened. I, I don't, I don't go up and feel thinking I had a good game. I think my, my, uh, pass completion percentage was low. I lost a duel. There were too many crosses against me. I missed a header, but that game, I just felt confident and good. So my, my best memory was like, or one of my favorite memories was either my first game with the Rapids in 2010 and the, Last game with the Rapids in 2010. Those are, those are two of my favorite memories. Uh, one of the episodes that we have, we're going to talk about kind of the run into the playoffs and then the moves that, um, the team made with acquiring Mac and acquiring, um, Brian Mullen. And so we want to dedicate that episode to Colin Clark. Do you have a, a story or a particular memory, um, about Colin, uh, the player, but more so the human being? And as someone who had your own heart issues that caused you to retire, is there anything that you have to say maybe insight on heart health that, you know, especially as where we are in this country and dealing with public health that maybe, you know, we could do better. Um, in, in terms of just Colin Clark, I remember, you know, I wasn't on the team with him for very long, but I remember him just being a really cool, good guy. Um, when I, like, I think that maybe the first weekend I was there, um, like all the guys like wanted me to go out with them to, I think a place over in Lamar Square and he and his uh, girlfriend who became his wife, um, were there along with, I think, Nick, I think like maybe Nick LaBrocca was there with his girlfriend and Ugo with his and there's, and there's just a bunch of couples and everybody was very welcoming and nice. 
um, Colin was like one of those guys that, you know, we would talk to me, he would joke around with me, he had a locker next to me, and he was this cool guy. Um, and when it comes to heart health, and you can, you can look and feel a certain way, but you never really know what's going on uh, internally. So I would say, you know, just try to get, get checked up on, um, go to the doctor and, you know, really, really, really get in there to see what's, um, what's going on. Cause it doesn't matter how you might feel one day to another. Um, it could be indicators, but for me, I mean, there was nothing. I was playing at the highest level and I was feeling great, but, uh, things can just kind of spring up on you. So I would say, um, get checked out and do everything you can to remain healthy. Don't just live life unhealthy or don't just live life and try not to be unhealthy, but just, you know, do your best, like eat right exercise and, you know, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. I guess on, on that note, obviously, uh, we're going to try and talk to Mac as well, but obviously, you know, he creates the goal, you know, obviously he wasn't credited with it because it was an own goal, but he creates the goal and in doing so hurts himself. And he wasn't certain about what that looked like um, in the post game media availability, but it ended up being, you know, pretty serious and it significantly impacted his career. How do you kind of make sense of that moment and that celebration, but also along with the player doing with your teammate doing that, but ultimately at the sacrifice of his body? I, it's it's like in my head, it's obviously it's huge, but it it, it's, it almost feels as on that team anybody would have done it. I mean, it, it's he was he had the opportunity to do it. I mean, he did that that. Again, that, that nice move, <laughs> making Benitez. I mean, I just, I just love every second of it. <laughs> then he, you know, he goes in and he's trying to go in for a cross. Like he's doing what he can and he's going to assist. He's not going to score. He's not being selfish. He's being just unselfish. And he goes in, takes a hit, bounces off George John and goes in. It's just, I mean, what can you say, man? It's, it's, he's, he did what he, what he, he is, what, what he does naturally. And he got taken out for it. And I mean, it's, I mean, we, we would not have won without his sacrifice. So, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about the guy and what he's given up for that. Mm-hmm. What, you know, I know there were a lot of injuries. I'm sure I don't, I, I don't want to say that there was an MLS Cup hangover, but obviously you guys played, you know, an extra month. So you had less than uh, an offseason that some other teams did in your mind what went wrong in 2011 and was it just a, a confluence of bad things that you guys you know couldn't fully control nothing seemed to click as well uh it was it was off it was almost like we were trying to hold on to that magic that we had and things to come a little bit more naturally because we were another year in and we could just do it again and it just it just wasn't there i couldn't say you know this player wasn't didn't stay up to their standards i didn't i couldn't say um that Gary did anything different it just I don't know it just it just it was it was we were almost in a, like similar situations but just that confidence that feel just it just wasn't as there so um I'm not exactly sure what happened I couldn't say what the lull was but yeah it was I mean the, the same feelings weren't, weren't there in two, uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. I know we're right at an hour so I've got just two more questions. Thank you very. This has been awesome Marvel. You are an amazing human being to talk about. You you've lived up to our nickname for you the marvelous Marvel win. Um but uh um obviously then, you know, Gary isn't retained after the 2011 season. The um you know, the organization decides to go in another direction. There's kind of a gradual um 
I don't want to say gutting of the core because that seems too harsh, but, you know, Jeff is traded, you end up getting, you end up moving on as well. And then, you know, Pablo finally in 2013, do you guys feel that you, do you guys feel that you would have had a chance had you rolled the dice with that same crew in 2012? And how did you feel kind of with all of that being built up, being shuffled around and ultimately you not being a part of that long-term? It's tough to say. I mean, because again, I've been on so many teams and have so many different players. Every year is very different and nothing truly kind of makes sense. I, I always had, I had the thought that, you know, the longer team was together, then the more they could uh, gel and just be on the same page more, just basically, they could basically read each other's minds. Um, so I, of course I want to say that if we all stayed together for as long as we could, then we would have been able to really, you know, come up huge and, you know, I mean, again, I was there when Oscar Pereira took over and then back when Pablo became head coach and all that stuff. But it was, you know, it just wasn't the same. Um, I think there was lightning in a ball 2010 and, you know, we, we, we used it and I, I won't take anything away from that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, is there anything that I didn't touch on that you want to say or anything in part of this project that you feel um, we should know about or any inside or random story or something as someone who is on the inside in there. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a witty <laughs> question too. Like if I had time to think about it, yeah. I'd probably come up with, I'd probably come up with something good that, mm -hmm. you know, would be kind of fun and all that. But, um, I would say, um, one thing about that was just how, how rare that really is. I know there are a lot of clubs out there that's like, you know, we haven't had a winning season, so we're going to bring in a new coach or we're going to try to bring in new players. And then everyone's going to mesh, everyone's going to gel, and then we're just going to win a championship. Basically, what Gary Smith did and what we did in 2010 was unique. You're not, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to have, you know, a bunch of guys coming from different clubs and different experiences coming from around the league put them together and then have the success that we did but i'd say uh, all credit is due to everybody on the staff every single player every single coach everybody even in the front office who were, who were amazing as well to um to really make that year as special as it was and it's it's a full it's a full-on effort and the mentality and the heart of everyone involved like really like without that no chance we would have been Never been able to win that. MLS Cup. Little Marvell went on to be the starter for the Rapids till the end of 2014, Pablo Mastroeni's first year as head coach of the club. The Rapids declined his option for 2015. San Jose Earthquakes acquired him in the reentry draft that winter. He started for two more years, and then at the start of 2017, he was sidelined with a heart abnormality. Despite surgery and waiting a full calendar year, he retired in April of 2018. Marvell got into coaching after retirement at John Woods Community College in Quincy, Illinois. He got married and adopted a bunch of cats. Marvell left John Woods in 2021. He's currently traveling, chilling, waiting to see what comes next. In the spirit of Marvell and Colin Clark, see the show notes for links to the CDPHE and the American Heart Association for information on heart health and proactive medical screening and testing for your cardiovascular system. Rest in peace, Colin. Next time on Memories from Toronto, we speak to the first Japan-born player in MLS history. Right back, Kosuke Kimura. Get ready to learn how one of the best right backs of his time annoyed an embassy and gamed the SAT to get into college, bought a boat, and scored the goal to send the Rapids to MLS Cup 2010. We think. Peace. Peace.